Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. I'm your host, Brian Nichols, and uh, welcome to another fun-filled episode. For those of you who are returning from uh, from last week, if you're new to the show, obviously we had a great interview with Austin Peterson, Senate candidate for the uh, United States Senate out there in Missouri. Uh, got to talk about his uh, his fun ban on Facebook that was recently lifted for his uh, AR-15 giveaway. Um, but those of you who are new to the show, again, I'm Brian Nichols, associate editor over at the Libertarian Republic. Uh, and as, as you know, the Brian Nichols Show, we are the newest and fastest growing podcast on the We Are Libertarians network. And yeah, the show, we, we have a libertarian bias, but we're for anyone and everyone across the political spectrum as our goal is to present the news in a manner that you care about with an objective focus to help, number one, educate, number two, enlighten, and number three, inform. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at B Nichols Liberty, and please feel free to subscribe to our Patreon at B Nichols Liberty to help us keep producing the content you enjoy. And as always, please share today's podcast with your family and friends. And uh, I say that especially today because we have another phenomenal guest, and it's uh, in line with all the other great guests we've had so far. I am joined by formerly known as just Bill O'Reilly, but Bill Buckley O'Reilly um, of the Federalist Party of America. Bill, how are you? Hey Brian, th- thank you so much for having me. I've, your, the news of your of your uh, podcast is growing far and wide, so it's really <laughs> nice to be on. Awesome, thanks, Bill. And and for those of you who who aren't aware, so Bill is the chair of the the Federalist Party of America. You can follow Bill on Twitter at WFBOR, which stands for. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. Uh, William F. Buckley O'Reilly. That's uh, I, I hear William Buckley. Can you can you sh- I guess ex- explain that connection there with Will? Oh sure, I'm about to prove that even even the best genes fade in the wash. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yes, uh, I, I, uh, my uh, Bill Buckley, you know William F. Buckley Jr. is an uncle, my mother's brother, and or was, and um, I was actually named after his his father, my grandfather, uh, William F. Buckley, as as he was as well. So um, yeah, that's that's the that's the that's the right family. It's, that's the right right direction. <laughs> awesome, and, and and Bill, you're the who was. The- who was Oh, go ahead. Who, who of course had who of course had great libertarian instincts, as do I. There you go, exactly. And that's I think we're going to find a lot of common ground today because uh, you're uh, obviously the chair of the the Federalist Party of America, which correct me if I'm wrong was a party that really took off here uh, in the 2016 election in terms of uh, you know trying to toss its hat in the ring to be another alternative to what was the Donald Trump Hillary Clinton duopoly that the American voters were faced with. Yeah, and I found, and I should just add that I'm that I'm, I'm chairman pro tem, and the pro tem is very important because the um, the Federalist Party of America um, is very keen or, or wary of human nature, as were the founders of the of the country, and so you know personalities can quickly overtake principles in politics, and so we all all leadership positions are term limited to one year. So my first my first job as chairman is to find my successor, and so that's why we all have pro tem. Um, a- after our titles, but I became aware of the of the movement really. Yeah, after sixteen, I was watching. I was watching, um, you know, some involvement and started talking to some of the people involved. And when the Federalist Party of America launched, yeah, I've never really been um, involved in a third party, um, and um, and was always, you know, really a skeptic. Although I've watched, I've watched them, and you know, libertarians have certainly done you know, very nicely. I have a cousin who ran for U.S. Senate um, as a libertarian in Virginia a couple of years ago. Um, but I, I started, you know, talking to somebody from the party 
and offering some advice. And um, they asked if I, you know, if I could serve on the board. And I said, sure. They said, what position would you like? And I said, whatever no one wants. And they said, congratulations, Mr. Chairman. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's a it's a real honor to to be part of it. And that's exactly right. It's um, it's a it's a party that um, and you know, like libertarians that that see um, you know, what's happened to both the Republican and Democratic parties. Um, are you know entirely freaked out by it in a lot of ways? Just federal overreach, the 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 debt that's going to take our our uh, you know children's and their children's um, hopes away, and um, the Republican and Democratic Party are just not going to fix it. Um, we we I think we know that for a fact at this point. You know you have you know all, all the branches of government right now controlled by the Republican Party, which I've worked for for decades, for 30 years. I still do Republican consulting, but the party is not keeping its promises. So you know, others have to step in, and as as tall as the order is, and as unlikely it is to succeed, you got to try. If you love the country, you got to try. Amen. And um, I, so, just to to I guess preface this conversation. So I had an interview back about a month or so ago with a uh, Dean Clancy, former White House policy advisor uh, during the Bush administration, and uh, and Dean himself, he 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 likes the idea of third parties. Um, and when I spoke to Dean about this, uh, he was mentioning how he looks at political parties as nothing but vessels um, to help promote various principles forward to um, not only to help spread their message, but also to instill those principles in government. So yeah. as, as myself, I'm still a registered Republican, um, but I definitely have very strong, uh, little L, uh, libertarian convictions. Um, you know, I look at parties like the libertarian party or the green party, or now, you know, your, your federalist party. And, and I, I look at them also as, as vessels, but I see, I see these third parties, uh, more so as a breeding ground for establishing principles to then, uh, reach out and try to corrupt the main two duopolies in the Republican and Democratic Party to then put those principles into government. So I guess Wait. one thing I've had as an issue with the Libertarian Party is that I look at the LP and I say, okay, we have strong Libertarian principles and convictions, but we can't seem to get past that 5% threshold in America despite the fact that 30 plus percent of all Americans register, well not register, they identify, self-identify as a libertarian without the actual word libertarian being uh, afflicted to their name. It's more along the lines of, you know, know, (laughs) the the Jason Stapleton method, which is don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. I think people by and large can agree (laughs) to that on principle. It's then you say, oh, so you're a libertarian. They say, well, I'm not a libertarian. Um, And that kind of pushes them away. So I guess looking at the the Federalist Party of America, um, what is the goal for the party? Is it to really you know help foster and, and help root up these principles, and then actually offer a, a true alternative to the Republicans and Democrats, or is it more of along the lines of getting people together with these principles to then go forward and try to uh, maybe infiltrate these top two parties to then push the principles forward into government? It's all the above. And all I, right. I, just gotta, I am Brian. I, I am so in cahoots with with everything that you're saying here. That's you're exactly right. That at a minimum, at a minimum, these parties help drive ideas. 
and they help re reignite old ideas that have been forgotten in old principles. And so at a minimum, they're important just for that. If they don't succeed at the end of the day, they're still valuable. You know, the, the, the Federalist Party of America plans to succeed in the long run. It's not a short-term party, just as the Libertarian Party does. Um, but it's, it's really important to get, to get outside the box thinking because if you've worked within the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, you get stuck into a box and you're not allowed to think certain ways. And so it's, um, it's a really important thing. Ultimately, the Federalist Party of America made the decision not to pursue ballot status in 2018 because they want members of other parties to be able to join and become members without having to change their current registration, kind of a kick the tire period. And the Federalist Party um, position, the platform, is crazy simple. And, um, and the idea is that we, is we believe that, that simple is sustainable, that, that, simple, that the core convictions, if you stick with as few things that will divide us as possible, you might have a chance to make it to the next year. Um, the, the principles of the party are basically, it's jurisdictional. It's going back to the founding fathers, um, where, at, at what, what jurisdictions of government should apply to which things. So the question, when an issue comes up, it's not to start screaming whether we agree or disagree off the bat, but to say what level of government should be handling that. The, the Federalist Party of America believes that the lowest level of government is the one that's always preferred, the one closest to the people. It's not novel thinking. Um, it's, it's, you know, our platform is, is the, the, the country as it was laid out by the founders, um, who again studied human nature because they realized that uh, a centralized government, which is necessary, you have to have it, but that it would, it would constantly agitate to, um, uh, to become bigger, to become more powerful. It's just human nature. When you put people in charge, they're going to try and drive it. And that's exactly what's happened. The federal government has really taken over um, so much, almost everything, and um, to the detriment of local communities and states. And so we're not just, uh, you know, uh, you know, against federal overreach. We're pro-community. We're pro. We're looking to strengthen communities again. I mean, how many Americans don't vote in their local or state elections because they don't feel like there's any purpose anymore? Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to. Mm -hmm. If you want to teach local history in your high school, you now need to check with the Department of Education. That's probably going to tell you no. If you're living in most states, you know, with Common Core, they control the curriculum. If you're looking to move a jungle gym in a playground, you might have to check with HUD because HUD, you know, owns the communities because they took block grants and they're stuck. Um, you know, like the federal government has reached into our communities so much that they've they've tied them up. To your point about the Libertarian Party capping out at five percent, I've I watched that as well. I, I was I write a column in New York for Newsday a couple of days a week, and I was able to interview Gary Johnson and Bill Weld to do a column, you know, during during the 2016 election. And um, there was a lot of thought that they would they would do better. And I know there was there was a lot of a lot of consternation within the Libertarian Party on who the candidate should have been. But you're right, there are a lot of people that that are libertarians. But um, the the whole structure is built for a two party system. Meaning that the the newspapers, the networks, the you know, uh, mainstream radio, the rest of it, it's all designed a, a, around covering the Republican and the Democrat. There's no room. They don't have the third person or the fourth person to cover the third or fourth party. It's just institutionally built that way, which is not to say that it has to stay that way forever. But as a practical matter, that tends to be what happens. I mean, I work. I'm a press guy. I represent you know clients in races. I'm a, I'm a a spokesman for a lot of campaigns. 
And um, if you're, you know, you get you get assigned a reporter, they're not covering three parties, they're covering two. And, you know, the debate formats are set up that way. It's very difficult to break through, which doesn't mean you don't keep trying. And the libertarians have certainly done well. It's a party that has that has survived and moved forward, you know, forward systematically. And um, and I hope it continues to because it's, it's got an important message. So um, with that being said, now, one thing that you just said that really, you know, it piqued my interest. So basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that anyone can be a member of the Federalist Party, be they Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, um, Conservative Party. Blank, independent. Yep. Okay. So you can maintain your political party and still be a part of the Federalist Party. Is that correct? That, that's correct. I'm a member of the New York Conservative Party. And um, and I'm the chairman of the Federalist Party because it, it's not a ballot status yet. And so any anybody can join it. Joining it is just signing up online or or following it, you know, via text. You could do. Uh, I don't mean to be do a commercial plug, but if you want to follow what's going on, you can um, you can uh, text Fed Party to five three four four five five three four four five Fed Party. But so anybody can join um, once the party get, starts to get ballot status around the country. If, you know, if you're in an area where there, where the, the Federalist Party of America has ballot status, then you've got to decide. But that's not in 18. We're, right. we're trying to grow. We realize it's it's very difficult to grow, so we want to make it as easy as possible to interact with Americans who might be frustrated with their current party, but may not be willing to make the jump yet. They want to they want to check it out. Because I should have had a one thing is the Federalist Party. The other platform position, other than then, um, you know, basically the jurisdictions of government is term limits. We're very, very pro-term limits, and I can explain why as, as we talk further. Absolutely. And, and cause, I mean, one thing you're saying, Bill, and it's it's really something that resonates with libertarians is is that federalist type of mentality when you go from the, ne- the, the federal government down to the local government. Um, you know, the, the ideal world for a libertarian society in this, like, this, you know, sitting down group group discussion, the as Glenn Beck described it, the mental masturbation chamber of libertarian thought is to have, you know, an ideal situation where every individual governs themselves. There is no need for an overreaching government. But I mean, I say the word pragmatic and a lot of libertarians will will you know shudder at that word. But being pragmatic, that that's not where we are right now. So. Um, looking at the the federalist mindset that you're you're promoting, I think that definitely is something that resonates with libertarians because at the more local level, we're able to have much more direct impact into our own personal lives. Be it you know looking at your city ordinances, looking at the various uh, school boards, and how what your children are being taught and how they're educated. So I think what you're saying it definitely resonates with libertarian members that are, are either part of the libertarian uh, party as a, as a lar- as a whole or if they are small L libertarians who are libertarian curious and are maybe still members of the Republican Party. Um, now, one part uh, I did want to uh, question. So I was going through your your website's principles and the statement of principles. So yeah. I know there's there, there's the five main principles and. I guess I want to go through them one by one. So you have the, the strength of America lies in its people, not the government. I think libertarians were were right on board with that. Absolutely, you know. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We're small married. government. Yeah, exactly. Um, number two. Now you say government solutions, when necessary, should uh, be pursued at the lowest level of government possible, that closest to the people they affect. Now I agree. Um, but I guess I wanted to hear. Um, again, I'm going to give you a uh, a hypothetical here. I just want to kind of hear. Sure how it would be approached from a Federalist Party society. So um, 
let's say there is an issue that the government needs to step in. What would you define as something that the government needs to do in a federal society that you would be okay with implementing even at a lower level of government? Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, first of all, keep in mind that what I say doesn't matter that much because right. <laughs> because I'm fleeting. No, but that's really important. That that it's the Constitution that speaks and the and the principles that speak. But while I'm while I'm chairman, I'll say what I what I think as a member of the Federalist Party of America. Um, I'll give you an example. I personally believe, and you know, this could be debated, but this is a good debate to have, a healthy debate to have. That say for example, the sanctuary city issue. Mm -hmm. I, th I think that's a, it's a perfect uh, issue to argue because cities are saying we have the right to do what we want with people who live here. And the federal government is, is saying we control um, immigration policy. I think the federal government's right in that one. That's my personal opinion. I think you have to have immigration policy has to be centralized. Um, that's my personal opinion. We could argue it out. But that that's an example of one where it's where it's um you know where I where I see a role for the federal government or or clear um uh you know having clear authority over an issue military issues postal service you know all those type of things um, even if the Federalist Party of America becomes incredibly successful there'll still be more federal government than is necessary it's just you know but you can't let the you know the perfect get in the way of the good um, but but there. Are, but the conversation is the right one to have, especially when you have $20 trillion in debt, um, which is where should this be handled? In most cases, I would argue that it would be able to be handled locally, if not, you know, if not, if not in, in a municipality, in a county, if not then, then in the state. And in most cases, you don't have to go to the federal government. I mean, where there's civil rights issues, um, you know, slavery, that type of thing going back in the, in the years, those are clear civil rights issues that the federal government stepped into. And that wasn't always the, the pervasive, the pervading thought. Um, right. But right. Uh, I think in most cases, you can keep things local. But the problem is people sit around in rooms and say, we ought to pass a law. And everyone in the country should think this way. And, you know, if you ought to pass a law, how about doing it in your town? Or, you know, <laughs> or doing it, doing it in your town, try and fight it out there. But everybody, you know, we, we, we're, we've become trained to think nationally in our, in our news consumption and everything. It's all about Washington, and it was never supposed to be, other than in you know in, in protection of citizens and, and the, you know common welfare type thing. So I'm not sure if that answers the question, but that's 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 kind of my thinking. Is that is um is an example would would be in immigration policy. Okay, understood. So let's expand that then. So let's go to uh, the federal government because I think that's where we're going to be able to find more common ground. Is in terms of let, let let's let's agree to disagree in terms of various aspects of the local slash state government taking responsibility. I agree that sure, it yep. should be the local and states, but as to what they should or should not do, that can be where we would have more discussion. I guess I would yep. then go to the overreaching federal government because within libertarianism, there's going to be various sects within the, um, the, the movement where you'll have on one side, the most, you know, far, uh, far and away anarchists, and then you'll have minarchists and you'll have classical liberals, etc., etc. So yeah. the idea behind um, one of the, the subsets within libertarianism and in, in minarchism is is there is a role for the federal government. It is extremely limited. So 
with that being said, and, and this I think maybe is where we could find some even more common ground is what would you say, like if there is like the top five things that the federal government should do, I mean, just be, just for the, the sole fact that it would almost be impossible for a, a populace to do it on their own individually. What would those, you know, three, five things, whatever it would be, that you think are appropriate roles, and obviously starting with immigration, after that, what would what would you say would be those uh, those main issues? Okay, on uh, uh, national security, I mean, both homeland and national security, you mm-hmm. know, obviously, um, uh, postal service. Although at some point that need may go. I mean, that's as everything gets gotten privatized and and you know, email is taken over and and um, other things. But you know, postal service was always a, a, a classic one. Um, I think pr- probably because you're not going to, although it, it so badly needs to be reformed, I don't think you're ever going to, you know, realistically get rid of Social Security. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things you could have done that through the states, but that's the kind of thing where it's probably off the table. You're probably just not going to you're not going to get there. You know, but the, the ones the ones that are that are obvious where they, there's really no world, it should be easy to do if you had the will in, in Congress is, you know, like, say, Department of Education. There's no reason that states can't run their own education department. That's, that's madness. I mean, there are a whole bunch of those. Um, but, there, but there, you know, there are some things that Washington does. Interstate highways. Um, it probably mm. makes sense for the federal government to do interstate highways with the, with the, with the states doing roads. It's probably easier for, for them. It's probably cheaper for them to do it. They probably have more expertise in it. Um, I mean, you could go through them, and each of these you could argue. I mean, there's, you could argue against it, but these are the arguments we should be having instead of arguing over, you know, the, the shiny object of the day out of the Trump White House or out of, you know, wh- whatever we come up with or, you know, who should use which bathroom where. I mean, we argue about this stuff. We've become professional arguers, as you said in the lead in, that we, we can find common solutions. You could even say on, on, the, on the federalist side, I mean, the Constitution is, and I guess you'll get there as you go through the principles. The Constitution is, you know, to use the cliche, a living, breathing document. It's amendable. They, the, the founders built it that way, so it's amendable. You could have people who are both um, pro and, and, and totally anti-gun that are federalists. I mean, if you wanted to, yeah. you, you could be pro-Second Amendment, obviously, or you could say we need to overturn it and amend, amend the, you know, the Second Amendment. Um, you could both be on the same page, but honoring the Constitution that it stands as is until amended. Um, that that it, it is the prevailing law. It's the it's the supreme law of the country. It was the one law that was passed directly by the people, not by legislatures, because legislatures can change their minds on a heart, in a heartbeat, as as we all know, um, lamentably. But the but the the supreme law of the country is the Constitution. It stands unless amended, and so you know the, you could you could be left and right and still be a federalist. Yeah, and I think that goes to the uh, the think tank almost uh, the think tank mentality of libertarianism. Where I mean, we could even again finding common ground. We could almost get to the point where uh, you could have a libertarian society that would embrace communism. And I'm saying this where I know people are going to have their heads explode. But yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the idea yeah. is so long as you aren't directly forcing your views upon someone else. So let's say you had a community um, at the local level that is voluntarily entered into that has said, we are going to be a communist society. So, you know, within the libertarian confines of thinking that 
even though it, it would completely go against the idea of you know the the, the self ownership the <laughs> the fruits of your labor the the embrace of, of capitalism but the fact that it was it was voluntarily entered into that that makes it i guess palatable for the rest of the society because there's a difference between tolerance and acceptance you know i can tolerate someone being able to believe what they believe even though i might not necessarily agree with it um, but in terms of acceptance, I'm not being forced to digest the communism myself and have to take part in the system. I think that maybe could could correlate over to the the Federalist view of you know going to the local government and having that kind of society. I just maybe this is where we might have a little bit of a, an issue is in terms of if you are a let's say a capitalist in a communist uh, area like I'm in I'm in Philadelphia. And obviously, yeah. being a libertarian, I am not in the majority here in Philadelphia, um, but I still have to pay into Philadelphia and, and still take part in their society unless I move. Um, so I guess that that right there might be an issue where, let's say, you know, we're at the local level. You have Philadelphia being the city as the local, uh, the lowest level. Um, what, what would you, I guess, say to a, a community that is embracing a type of, let's say, means of, of thinking like a communist or a socialist and forcing it upon, upon their people and making them pay into it even though it's not voluntary for that person to be part of it. No, I, I think it's, it's, it's an important point that, you know, the, the, the you know, communism was, was always, a, it was forced, you know, or, or Nazism or whatever ism is out there. I mean, that, that was the problem was that it was that you, you had these dictatorial powers that came in and, and and you know tyrannize people, um, but if you had if you had a community that wanted to go out into the woods and 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 get naked and run around and and you know be, you know do whatever they want and that that's fine if that's their free will absolutely let them do it there should be no problem you know we, we don't have to be concerned about other people's I mean Amer we're so often concerned about other people's cultures um, you know other nations have different values sometimes um, you know. Um, it's it's you know I'm I'm with you on that one where it's kind of the, the live and let live to the greatest extent possible um, as long as it's not coerced and as long as it's not dangerous to other people I, I don't I don't see a problem with it you know the, the communism obviously I know you just threw that as an example I mean that's a that's a wretched um, that's a wretched system because it, it just grinds people into pulp um, but I but I understand the principle you know the the the, the meaning. Um, it's a, it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. I didn't want to get stuck on that. I mean, that I just like, it was a, I was trying to toss out a hypothetical there because I mean, again, the whole idea here for this show is to really try to find where we can find common ground. And I, I mean, speaking to the, uh, the, the terribleness, if you will, of, of communism and socialism is, is red meat to a lot of my listeners. So if we can try to yeah. find, you know, in my, our most, uh, extreme examples to your most extreme examples where they come together, exactly. I think that would yeah. definitely help now. Um, Principle three, we, we kind of already covered there for the Federalist Party. So America has one overarching set of laws uh, authorized directly by the people, the Constitution of the United States, the supreme governing document that stands as is unless and until amended. I think that kind of speaks to what we were just talking about. Uh, number four, an ever encroaching federal state threatens the general welfare of current and future generations of Americans. That encroachment can and must be reversed by democratic means. So could you, I guess, talk more to uh, the, number one, what you're seeing as the ever-encroaching federal state, and number two, um, in in the democratic means to reverse that, what do you see that as being, uh, if you could give me like a more tangible example how to reverse it? Sure, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a shameless plug for my Go uncle for Jim's 
<laughs> one of my uncle Jim's book, his latest book, and it's called Saving Congress from Itself. And it's written by uh, James Buckley, who was a United States Senator from New York and actually won um, on the conservative party line in 1970. It was the last time that, that anyone's won a seat in the Senate, I think even in Congress as, as a third party candidate. And he went on to become, uh, he was a U.S. Senator, went on to serve in, in the Reagan administration, was head of, uh, of um, Radio Free Europe and, and was undersecretary of the Navy, and then became a federal judge in Washington, second court of appeals for a long time. He turned 95 a couple of days ago, and he's a very, very wise guy. And, um, and so this, um, this platform position reminds me a lot of that book, which, which, which lays out kind of where the country went wrong from a federalist perspective. His, his is he's offering solutions in the book for Congress. And okay, so uh, the the founders were, were trying to to again guard against human nature. They realized, you know, the, the old Madison, you know, if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. Um, and so they were trying to craft a government that had balance between you know, executive, legislative, and um, and and um, and judicial. And balance between the states as well and the local governments and the federal government. They're trying to find that balance and they're trying to ward against um, against what they saw happen over and over again in history, which is when you give people power, they accumulate it and won't give it up. Um, what they didn't foresee was the career politician. And um, and in, 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 in Jim Buckley's book, he lays it out very, very well. There was a, a couple of bad Supreme Court cases in the 1930s that misinterpreted the general welfare clause, and it hasn't been challenged for a long time. And hopefully, somebody would would challenge it, uh, you know, while there's a, a fairly conservative court. Um, but the the general welfare clause in the Constitution was misconstrued to basically say that Washington could do anything for the welfare of of citizens around the country as long as they gave it to everybody. They did it equally and didn't favor one state over another. And so what that did was allow incumbents in Washington to start giving people things from agencies. And the agencies sprouted up and they in turn got bigger too and became bureaucracies on their own right that just became mammoth and continue to grow to this day. That's those They provide those agencies, the, the nine gazillion of them, um, provide the the gifts their their Santa sack um, that that electeds are able to hand out to um, interest groups to constituents directly and to you know business constituencies et cetera to help them get reelected and so um, so uh, that that's which comes to the term limit point but I won't get into that yet because I'm sure you, you want to talk about it separately um, until you until you fix um, in, until you fix that, um, which I, which we think it, it could be started at least with term limits, you're never going to be able to shrink the government. What we mean by putting general welfare into that, into that um, principal point, um, we're pointing directly to the general welfare clause, and we're saying that the general welfare of America is now threatened from debt, from the twenty trillion dollars in debt to the extent where that supersedes anything else, that the one thing that can take America down easily is that debt. Because when interest rates go, go up and as, the, as, and as the, um, that clock keeps ticking, our kids and grandchildren are not going to be able to borrow because that money is going to get chewed up in debt payments. And so the general welfare of the country requires 
that the federal government begin to disassemble itself in an orderly and democratic way. You don't want a chaotic thing like, let's shut everything this second, but it should be systematically shut down, turned back over to states, municipalities, counties, whatever it might be, where possible, because you're not going to have a sustainable America um, otherwise. If we keep going the way we're going, and there's no way we're not going to keep going that way unless we do something to make a significant change here, we're going to bankrupt this country to some extent. I mean, they're going to have to print money. They're just going to have to print out trillions of dollars, um, and we're going to end up with a hyperinflation situation. It's not going to end well. So <laughs> let me ask you this, because this this is where I think – I agree. Don't get me wrong. I, I agree with that entire principle. The only problem I see is the the final little caveat, which is the by a democratic means. Because, I mean, we, we're watching – and we, we saw this in the last election, is that we're having more and more individuals in America who have become pacified by these various government programs, be it in a form of welfare, be it in a form 48%. of... 48%, yep. Exactly, yep. subsidized health care. And that number, when we had the likes of a Bernie Sanders who was out there basically running on a platform of socialism... He was getting a lot of support from those individuals who I would say are in the uh, the, the younger millennial slash Generation Z um, crowd, and that concerns me because we're going to have a point where those those kids and those young thinkers are going to be the individuals taking control of our our society at some point, and I just think in the era of the the techno the technological advancements we've had with, with the likes of social media so twitter facebook instagram where these individuals are able to communicate and form these little uh, communities that they they feel like they're a part of something greater than themselves and i think just based on my observations that these movements like the the bernie sanders of the world their, their campaigns and now being fostered by the likes of an elizabeth warren that those groups that normally would have broken up over the years afterwards, like after it had taken place, I just, I'm just having this, this gut feeling that those groups are going to stick together longer and probably in a much more serious manner than they would have in the past. And then they'll actually have some real power behind them in 10, 15 years where democratically it might be difficult to actually accomplish what you're promoting because now you're going to have possibly a majority of Americans who actually believe in the the in, engorged federal in, government in socialism exactly right. yeah. so how how do we rectify the changing of the times with with these groups of individuals who are sticking together they're able to communicate these ideas and you know these ideas are, are going to grow government with the goal of trying to actually shrink government, but still uh, respecting a democratic process. There's no question. I mean, we're, we're battling, <clears throat> we're battling for the minds of young people, and we're certainly losing it on college campuses, and we're losing it most on elite college campuses. I'm on the board of the of the uh, William F. Buckley Jr. program at Yale, and that's and that it's an organization that exists to try and get some intellectual diversity on campuses. It's um. I mean, you send kids off. I have two in college now, and you get sent off, and it's they come out brainwashed. I mean, it's just it's just it's madness. Yes, that is a concern, but I don't know how else to do it but democratically. I mean, it's it's the the you know Washington has to decide that 
that for the again for the general welfare of the country it simply can't afford all the things that it's doing even if it wants them liberal and and conservative alike have to agree they just you we can't afford it and and so that's why term limits is so so important to, to the party because they're not going to turn off the spigot of of reelection um fodder or reelection currency um if if they're um if they're not term limited um <laughs> but mean, it's a, it's a it's a very big concern and you're the democratic party's not even close i mean the republican party at least talks a good game and they you know i think we i mean i've always been the republican you know republicans have meant to do the right thing fiscally but when push comes to shove the 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 um the instinct to to survive and to get reelected and to maintain the fiefdom whatever it might be has has taken over you know our better angels mm-hmm. democrats don't even try in, in the in the democratic party right now it's who can outspend whom you know it's hillary clinton trying to find a way to give a better free college than than bernie sanders i mean it just it's 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 um it's completely unhinged from reality. Well, I mean, I think it's we're compl- seeing. I think we're seeing right now, Bill, is and you brought this up very, very uh, succinctly, is that we're we're watching this this drive to stay alive politically. I mean, we're watching Republicans who have run on this this notion of being fiscally conservative, who you know they're they're trying to 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 have their cake. Was it give them their cake and eat it too? I mean, they're they're doing these massive one point three trillion dollar tax cuts, which is great. But at the same point in time, they're not cutting the spending to to go along with that, and thus inflating the debt, but by astronomical leaps and bounds. So this would actually be a great segue, which would be into the the fifth principle for the the Federalist Party of America, and that is number five: a twenty eighth amendment to limit the number of terms that members of Congress may serve is necessary and justified to restore restrictions on federal powers as intended by our nation's founders and delineated in the Constitution. Now, I think that's going to make a lot of libertarians' hearts uh, sore because, I mean, we we have libertarian, uh, I say small-L libertarian elected officials in the likes of a Rand Paul, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, and Mike Love Lee, yeah, yeah, and they're yep. out there. They're they're saying you know term limits, term limits, term limits. Now, the political scientist in me, I love the idea of term limits, but I then do have a little bit of reservation because I look at guys like a, a Rand Paul and a, a Ron Paul, or you know, I think Mike Lee will be a great uh, you know long term senator if he was allowed to. Um, I get nervous in terms of having these um, these great warriors that we really need. Who, let's say, for instance, a Rand Paul, he if he's out in let's say two terms, um, you know, that's twelve years of, of respectable service. But he's a guy that we need to to have really fight to help limit government. But the contrary is also going to be said. Will you have guys like John McCain or or Lindsey Graham in the Republican Party who aren't exactly uh, champions of liberty? Um, but then the other issue that comes up, and I've seen this floated by, um, you know, more, I want to say elitist because that's not the right terminology, but uh, those who would express the, the sentiment that you're going to have uh, the amateur politician where, or the amateur elected official, excuse me, where you'll, you'll have these elected officials who will come into office, you know, ready to, to just, you know, let loose and, and they're going to enact what they've been promising their constituents. And then they have no idea how the hell to do it. Now, 
we could say they could have experienced staff that, and, and you know, you could find all these little remedies, but how would we be able to rectify? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm agreeing with you. Term limits are great, but how can yep. we rectify a 28th amendment with term limits to continue a, 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 uh, I guess a professional legislature that will come in and be able to effectively govern in the limited time that they are allowed. Okay. Uh, I mean, first of all, I, I should say <clears throat> that there are some libertarians also who who um, who are anti-term limits. You know, saying it's it's yep. it's with the right to vote up or down every year, and that's a it's a it's a valid discussion. You know, no, no question. Um, but the um, okay, where to start? I would say on okay on the uh, Rampal and 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 his father. Um, you know, n no one is indispensable. <laughs> you know, no one's indispensable, and and that's. But as soon as someone gets elected, they become indispensable to themselves. And I'm, this is not a criticism of the Pauls, who I think have been a shining light for 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 uh, for a, a lot of Americans for a, a lot of years. Um, but no man or no woman is indispensable. Um, you might think you are when you're in there, but but there's, someone else is going to come along to carry the mantle if you've done your job well and if you've laid out your positions well. Um, you know, the you would if you had term limits, you would have to stagger it. So there's some institutional knowledge, no question. I I, I don't see term limits as the panacea. We're not going to get term limits, and everything is going to you know suddenly change and be and become perfect. But if you're gonna if you're gonna begin to restrain the federal government in spending and in overreach, I don't see any other way to do it than to um than to get people um you know to um you know to have the incentive of, of career. Uh, you know, careerism taken away, and that includes pensions. By the way, um, you know, you have people in office saying, "God, I'll do, I'll do, you know, six more years, and I got my twenty almost." Um, they they can have four hundred one k's like like most other people. They nope. don't have to have. That. Yeah, I, I do have a question, and and this is just because you know I, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this in terms of uh, the, the career politician. Now, obviously, the twentieth amendment is being proposed because in the Constitution, as we we discussed earlier that it is in fact a living breathing document yes there are aspects of it that are law that are to be interpreted as they are written but that does not shut the door for closing the amendment process so you know with the 20th amendment that's because it wasn't explicitly stated that you you had term limits and it was actually encouraged for people to run over and over again um so that's why the amendment is important because then we would amend the constitution to make a, a new a new rule if you will now, what about, like, the Supreme Court? Because right now we have uh, judges who are appointed for life, regardless of you know, whatever political party is in power. They're, they're basically immune until either A, they, they you know, pass away while holding the office, or B, they decide to resign. Um, do you foresee a, a situation that the Federalist Party of America would, I guess, tacitly or actively support a term limit for... Uh, those in uh, like or in the judicial uh, office? Certainly not now, and it's not because we would agree or disagree with that position. But it's it's we're trying to remain incredibly disciplined in, in what we're in what we're putting out. We're trying to stay really focused on message because we can start to go down so many rabbit holes that we're trying to keep it really really simple. But it's a it's a it's a it's a absolutely worthwhile conversation. Where you know you're you're on the court and you could be 102 um, until someone yanks you or you or you drop dead, um, you're you're on there. Totally valid conversation, but we're we're, we're avoiding um, we're avoiding taking too many positions 
as a um, as a, um, a as a as a building strategy. It's just we we don't want to go in too many different directions because you because once you start to go there, you can go into a million, and then you're arguing things that you know that um, that come up every every single day. But mm-hmm. but valid point, absolutely valid point. And, right. You know, twenty second twenty second amendment had to come in. I mean, George Washington set the set the measure by leaving after two terms, after eight years, and he he shocked the world. It was just a, <clears throat> I mean, Washington was such an amazing figure, and um, you know, world leaders didn't know what to do with it. I mean, power was something that you just didn't give up. I mean, it wasn't done that way. And when when Washington stepped down, you know, voluntarily after eight eight years. It would. It told the world that America was going to be a different kind of country, indeed, and in a in a very tangible way. And then, unfortunately, that model got broken over time, and they had to pass the Twenty Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, in, in the House and Senate, you go in there, you're there for sixty years and fifty years, and it's built that way so that it's built. Seniority is everything, as, as you know, oh, as well as I do, Brian. Seniority is everything. It's not based on merit. It's not based on intelligence. It's not based on what experience you, you bring from the outside to a position. It's all seniority. You know, you, you don't get the committee assignment because you're really smart on economics. You get it because you're in there two extra terms or an extra term. And that's bananas. And I think you would get better government if you, if you were assigning people that were actually good at what they're overseeing and actually have some, some know-how. Um, I'm not saying you don't lose institutional memory with term limits. But I think you could get just as good people in there, better people probably doing the jobs, and we'll get through that. We'll we'll survive it. You know, the republic will not will not fall apart because we retire um, the current Congress over time. I mean, that kind of actually speaks to um, the the larger point of the Federalist Party, and that's the fact that the federal government in in itself is too big that you shouldn't need to have a a professional. Um, you know, elected legislature in the Congress and Senate because it you shouldn't need that much oversight in terms of what the federal government's doing because there's there's so little that it should be doing that if anything they should just be doing those few things well instead of spreading themselves so thin trying to have you know this various department do the you know the the, the EPA and the Department of Education and then you have the the you know in New York state we have the DEC which would be a great I mean why do we have the That's EPA right. and the DEC both exist I mean the DEC could do what the EPA does in New York and do it as good if not better now i don't necessarily agree with what the dec does in new york and i'm sure you have your own beliefs about the dec being from new york as well it's that you know, yep. at the very least the dec would react to that specific state and what they were looking to do in that specific state versus having this one large overreach that would say this is our policy for the united states and what you're doing in alaska is going to be the exact same as you're doing in delaware what you're doing in maine is going to be the same thing you're yeah. doing down in california it's it, it it's silly. And I think that that's one thing that's a really good point with the Federalist Party of America is that this this could help rectify that. Um, so, I mean, no, that, go ahead. You know, that, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. That, that, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yep. So uh, I think we went through the, the main five principles that were that were there for the Federalist Party of America. Is there anything that I didn't cover or, or bring up about the, the party that you wanted to, to address here um, just to make sure our audience was aware? Well, we're actually um, on the website, which is federalistpartyofamerica.org. We're asking people that are interested. And again, they can say, you can stay Republican, stay Libertarian, stay Democrat, whatever, whatever your party is. 
we're asking people that are interested to hold Federalist Party of America meetings. And what does that mean? We have the materials right on the website. It's very, very simple. You get a few people together, three, five, 50, whatever you got. Go out and go out to the back of a bar and have beers or go, go have coffee in your house someplace. And the documents are, are on the website. You can download them. And, and the meeting is you read either from the Constitution, from the Federalist Papers, or from the Anti-Federalist Papers. The Anti-Federalist Papers are extraordinary. They're just terrific. They're not as well known. And you read you know, amongst yourselves for you know, a half hour or so, and then talk about it a little bit, have a great time, knock back the beers, do whatever you're doing. And you just had a Federalist Party of America meeting. You've just become a delegation, just like that. You have assigned yourself. You don't need anybody from, from Washington. You don't need the RNC blessing or the DNC blessing. You are now an official Federalist Party of America delegation just by doing that meeting. And you, and you ask other people to do the same. And it, it, at a minimum, it gets people talking about you know, going back to the same conversation upon which the country was founded. Of, like, like we got to start talking about these things again as they were intended because we've lost track over the years. And it's all there in the Constitution, in the Federalist Papers, in the Anti-Federalist Papers. Some of them are terribly boring. You're not going to focus on them. Some of them are really exciting, but all of them will spur debate. And as long as we're talking about these things, we don't have to all be in agreement. But if we're talking about these things, we're moving in the right direction. We're not moving in the direction right now with the two major parties because nobody's talking about anything. They're just fighting. It's just, I mean, I do it for a living. It's just a professional fight. The, you know, the, the fight is often the goal because you stir up your side. Um, it, there's no solutions there. If we're meeting and talking about ideas again and, and reacquainting ourselves with what the country was supposed to be, was intended to be, we're, we're, moving in, we're moving towards daylight. And so it's all there on the website. If anybody wants to do it, again, you are suddenly a delegate. You can be a delegate tomorrow, get three people together, read the things, talk about it, have a good time, laugh, joke, and you've just done a delegation meeting. And so, so that's, that's what I'd love to add to, to the conversation. So, Bill, I really do appreciate that uh, you know, discussion there about the, the Federalist Party of America now – now I'm gonna get a little personal. So <laughs> I, th I just thought this was I thought this was really interesting, and and I think a lot of our our audience will find this interesting too. Now, you you are a political consultant in New York State, and yeah. one of your most I guess notable um, feats was back in 2006. Now correct me if I'm wrong. You essentially helped uh, John Faso, who was really at that point in time. He was a long shot. I mean, he was, you know, going to be, you know, destroyed by, at that time, the former Massachusetts governor. And uh, he was, at the time, the establishment favorite, former vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, Bill Weld. And you, you helped lead FASO, who at the time was the New York State Assembly Minority Leader, to beat Bill Weld to then, I think he went against, um, was, was, it, was it Spitzer? Elliot Spitzer. <laughs> That's right. My God, that was a long time ago, feels. But I mean, Black so yep. <laughs> what was it it's, that it's, pushed you? I just, to... I just, it sounds like you were in New York at the time. <laughs> I sure was. <laughs> so what pushed you to um, to number one? I guess I go go and support Faso and really lead his campaign, but to to go after Bill Weld and to not to not let Bill Weld take take the uh, the reins. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, mean I, I, was, I was part of a team, and, and my, my business partner at the time, Susan Del Percio, was his spokesman, and um, 
it was it was a great team effort. I mean, John's a, a, a really really principled guy. He's super bright. He knows government in New York better than than just about anybody. I did his his congressional race in '16. Um, but Bill Well was coming in. I thought he was to the left of the party a little bit um, for, for the Republican Party, and um, and he he hadn't been active in New York whatsoever. And there was a feeling that he was being shoved down the throats of Republicans and conservatives. And um, and um, John Faso was a, a true Republican, a true conservative, and a, and, a, and a very principled one, and a, a very serious student who had helped a lot of people with research, with advice, and the rest of it. And the the rank and file appreciated that. And so, um, you know, you know, you know, Bill Wells, you know, you know, got busted, but he almost got shoved down our throats, and we were able to 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 resist it. And at first, desperately. And then over time, successfully, um, you know, once you get a little beachhead of, of opposition and you keep driving it and you're and you're consistent at it, um, you can you can grow a movement um, in your favor. And that's that's what happened with John Faso. The other thing was John was always accessible. He, he would talk to the press freely, as he still does. And um, and Bill Well was a little bit more reserved. He had been a, a, a governor. So he was um, he was um, a little standoffish, I thought. And that hurt him. But it was very interesting in that race. I'd kind of forgotten about it. Andrea Tonteros from Fox News was Bill Wells' spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, it was a it was a very interesting race. <laughs> and then and then of course Elliot Spitzer came in, and, and the rest is history. It's, <laughs> so. it's just so funny looking at things now through the lens of 2018. And that was, I mean, it was just a short 12 years ago, but it feels like it was a long 12 years ago. And uh, yep. I, I mean, just the, Andrea Tonteros was the spokesperson basically for Bill Weld, who basically went against her guy in the 2016 election as the vice presidential candidate. And then, I mean, don't worry, we're not going to hurt anybody's feelings discussing Bill Weld in the podcast. Um, I mean, Bill definitely, yeah. he irked a lot of libertarians here um, with his tacit endorsement of Hillary Clinton in the last week yeah. or so of the election. Um, now, I know some people are going to say, well, he never officially endorsed Hillary, but I mean, saying I'm basically on the show to vouch for, for Ms. Clinton, yeah, it's, that's as close as you can come. But uh, I just, I think it's funny we we see it kind of comes full circle. Um, But also I I think Andrea was working for Janine Pirro who was in that race early. And she was, she was on the, on the, on the comms team for Janine. And uh, it's just so funny how how people have gone on and done big things. Janine hailing from Elmira, New York. God bless her. Oh, she, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. (laughs) I think she, I think her face is one of the ones. So when you go into Elmira, New York, there's a big billboard and it had, Anybody who was from Elmira, there was there was Brian Williams, Janine Pirro, um, yeah. Tommy Hilfiger, Mark Twain. I mean, all all the the the, the big starlets there. And Elmira's got a great history. It's it's not doing very well now, but it's got a, it's a great town. Oh, absolutely. Uh, very familiar yeah. with the area. But um, last question for you because I know we're getting towards the uh, the hour mark here. I wanted to to keep it under an hour. But Bill, you're a consultant by trade. I was in political science. And I worked on campaigns throughout my life. So I just think this is a great chance. I wanted to get your professional, ex- uh, experienced opinion. 2018, I mean, we just watched in PA 18 um, with the, the Democratic upset with Lamb um, you know, in a district that Trump won by 20 points in, in just a short two years ago, um, not even a year and a half ago. What's your thoughts, 2018? What will happen in terms of the uh, the congressional races and the Senate races? For, oh, for, 20, for 2018. Okay. Yes, sir. I, I keep saying 18. That t- sounded like a couple years away. We're in 18, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. um, I, I, I think it entirely depends on the economy. I think the Republicans will, will lose seats, you know, re- regardless. 
but whether they lose the majority is up to the economy. Um, and I think Republicans are going to have a really tough time in the suburbs. I had a client who, uh, named Rob Astorino who ran for governor in 14 yep. in, in New York. And it's just an extraordinarily talented guy and a really principled guy um, who ran for reelection, got wiped out in this in this wave or, you know, last year. Um, there's going to be a way, right? I'm sorry. From, from Westchester. Yeah. yeah one, okay. of most, yep. one of the most talented, um, natural talented media people I've ever met and just a, and a wonderful guy. But um, but uh, I think in the suburbs, it's going to be very, very difficult for Republicans to, to hold on in the exurbs, you know, the, you know, outside more towards the rural areas. I think I think they'll be OK as long as the economy remains, it keeps growing in a reasonable way. And um, and I think a lot depends on that. And I, I you know, I, I hated when um, when the Reagan Cajun um, Jim Carvel said, you know, it's the economy stupid. I thought it was such a rude thing to say. But I but I think that's right. I think it's. If the economy is doing well, people are willing to overlook a lot of things. If it's if it's faltering, it, it all can come apart fast. So I, I think really it's the the economic indicators are going to be the um, are going to be the thing. And and frankly, you know whether the the White House can stay on message in the in the in the weeks leading up to the election. <laughs> if the White House can stay on message, God bless the President Trump and his Twitter. Well, listen, Bill, it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, you know, I think this was a great opportunity for my listeners to to learn more about the Federalist Party and to, to learn more about your principles and and you know what your your message and goal is here going forward. And I think it's a lot of uh, similar stuff that libertarians can can hop on board with. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can we can find some some mutually agreed, um, you know, routes to take and, and really promote the same principles more or less going forward. Yeah, yeah, I think we're kindred spirits. I think we all we all want to save the country. We all, we all love it. Absolutely. We'll, we'll all do our part. Yep. So again, ladies and gentlemen, you can follow uh, Bill O'Reilly or William F. B. O'Reilly at WFBOR on Twitter. Um, and you can follow the Federalist Party of America at Real Fed Party. And feel free to visit their website, www.federalistpartyofamerica.org. Bill, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for hopping on. Um, I think it was a really, again, great opportunity for our, my, uh, my, my listeners here. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to uh, reconvene sometime soon in the near future. Thank you so much, Brian. It would, be, it would be a pleasure. Thanks so much. Absolutely. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, it's Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at B Nichols Liberty. And again, please feel free to uh, go ahead and subscribe to our, our podcast, but also subscribe on Patreon at B Nichols Liberty to help us keep producing this type of great content that you've all uh, seemed to love and enjoy. And uh, finally, as always, please feel free to share today's podcast with your family and friends to help promote the message of liberty. And as always, rate us on iTunes. Uh, Until next week, guys, it's Brian Nichols signing out. We'll talk to you then.